Hello, everybody. This is Gio. Welcome to Geek vs. Geek, Episode 8. Special episode, The Hebagon. Uh, this is Bug. Um, Gio totally introduced the episode, which is awesome there. Uh, <laughs> so, do you want to set this up, or do you want me to do it? Um well, let's give a little background here first. Um, we have been uh, talking about this off and on for a while now. And um, this is this is a special episode simply because the news cycle has gotten boring. We're tired of it. We're tired of talking <laughs> that, about it. That is something that, yeah, we did discuss that, how, which made the show struggle because we were both like you know what what do you want to do with the show because the news cycles like blah and so i'm like well i'm open to doing something different because i really get sick of the news um so this was your idea I, i'm giving you credit for it um I was perfectly willing just to keep this in a drawer somewhere and just not really talk about it. Nah, no, and deprive our loyal listeners of your wonderful stories? No. Well, this one's a doozy. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> All right, uh, so should I just begin or? Take it away, man. All right. I've told this story a couple of times over the years. Um, and some people look at me like I'm crazy. Some people say they believe it. I've come to the conclusion I really don't care who believes it or not. Uh, there is one witness to to the event that happened. And even though she and I hate each other to this day, I'm almost certain that she will tell the same story that I'm about to tell. And uh, that, that to me, lends credibility to it because if she wanted to make me look crazy, all she'd have to say is, you know, he's crazy, that never happened. But um, she'll tell the same story if you ever find her or ask her about it. And she has, over the years, told the same story. And the story goes as such. Um, my girlfriend at the time, which would become my son's mother, uh, we were a pretty new couple, just started dating. And we, uh, I'm not entirely sure we were dating yet. We were, we, we, we were friends for a long time before we started dating. So I'm, as my memory goes back, I'm still kind of on the fence. We were right around just starting the date, right before or right after. It's like we were a fairly new couple. And like I said, we were really good friends uh, before we started dating. And we had a routine. Uh, we'd, we'd alternate weekends. Fridays were definitely our day, um, and sometimes Saturdays. And every other weekend, I'd, I'd try to go over to her house, um, which would have been her grandmother, or she'd come over here, you know, to my parents' house. 
and we'd we'd watch, you know, on Fridays we'd watch the uh oh what is it? Uh, that prime time run where Boy Meets World and yeah. Sabrina. I forget what that was called, but uh TGI Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd watch that on Friday nights, and that was a guarantee. <laughs> And uh, on Saturdays, we would rent a movie, usually some kind of scary movie or something like that. I wouldn't watch it. She would. And uh, that was our routine. And after uh, on Saturdays, after we'd watch the movie, it usually be around 11, 1130 at night. And uh, her ride uh, would come and pick her up, usually around midnight, because that was her curfew. So a lot of times we would just go for a walk, especially in the summertime. We, you know, we just walk around the block or whatever. I smoked at the time. She smoked, so it was uh, get one last cigarette in, you know, before we. I was eighteen, she was sixteen. Um, you know, get one last cigarette in before she had to go, and we went our separate ways uh, for the week. Now, uh, this one occasion, it was a Saturday night, and that's how I remember it was a Saturday night, because uh, we did the whole walk thing on Saturday nights, if, you know, after the movie. If it was Friday, we would just watch TV all the way up until midnight when her ride was here. We we wouldn't have time to go for the walk. It's middle of summer. It's around July, somewhere around in there. And the way my parents' house uh, was at the time, it's a lot different now. The house is pretty much the same, but the surroundings are different. And at the time, uh, all the surrounding portion behind our neighborhood was owned by a tree nursery many, many, many years ago by the name of Barton's. Barton's Tree Nursery. And there were trails that would go all throughout uh, it was over 100 acres or so. And there were trails that go through where, you know, they would go in and manage the trees or grow the trees or whatever. But um, by the time this neighborhood was built, it, that property was bought and owned by an old man by the name of Mr. Wilcox. So he developed the neighborhood, he made his money on it, and there was about 80 acres left over from after he built the neighborhood, um, behind the neighborhood, um, that was just left. I mean, there were, there were old coal mine caves, you know, amateur mines back there where they'd, they'd go in, they'd, they'd see a seam on the cliff and they'd just go in and dig it wasn't anything high production. It was just, uh, they were just dangerous mines. You know, they'd go in and, and mine the coal out for the personal use, you know. Um, there is the creek that divides most of the acreage. Okay, and on this side was 80 acres. On the other side, it's still untouched. And it's actually now protected. Um, the Friends of Hurricane Creek, was your organization that got started by a couple of kids I grew up with in the neighborhood. And because uh, we all grew up back there in those woods and camped and swam in the creek. And 
It was just that's where our childhood was. So a lot of the neighborhood kids formed a group called Friends of Hurricane Creek. And they petitioned a lot and got, got all that land protected. And actually now it's part of a state park called Hurricane Creek State Park. So it's protected and it's untouched. Um, but this particular night, okay, so my parents' house is surrounded, was surrounded on three sides. Well, two sides, actually. Uh, you had the front, face the road. We've got one neighbor on the upper side, and then the back and the lower side is nothing but woods. And that's how I grew up in the woods because our house butted up against the woods. So you go out in the backyard, and basically my backyard was 80 acres or more of this untouched wilderness, okay? So me and my friends, we'd, we'd always just go camping and whatnot. Um, William was my primary cohort, so he and I would go back there and go camping and shit, you know. And uh, we wouldn't think twice about it. So this one occasion, and I say all that because I'm setting up the, the the context of what I'm about to go into because you, you understand a little more once you understand the environment of how it could be. So all the way down the street on the lower side of my parents' house, was nothing but forest on one side. Okay, now when I was growing up, it was forest on both sides. But the important side faced the woods or butted up against, you know, connected to all this untouched wilderness. And it went all the way down for about two, three hundred feet to a pumping station, which is still there. But um, none, of that, none of that is is still there because Mr. Wilcox sold the 80 acres to um, Buddy Smith. And Buddy Smith, I think that's his name, He he's basically developing the neighborhood further. So he's taking that 80 acres and all the trees and everything are gone and he's extending the neighborhood and eventually we'll have houses behind our house, which my parents are not too happy about, but... There's no more wilderness back there. Um, but back then, you know, 20 years or more ago, 22 years ago, um, there was woods back back there. And so we would, 1130 at night, summer, Alabama, sultry, you know, humid. We would, it's 1130, 11-ish, we'd finished our movie. And we decided to go for our walk before her ride arrived, which is usually her brother-in-law, her sister's husband. And he was pretty cool. Um, can't really say that now because people change. But back then, he was cool. And uh, so we walked. We started. We went out the back door which was connected to the backyard by a couple of brick steps. You step down, and it was all dark, okay, because that's the lower side of the house. But if we went up through the house, you know, we everybody was in bed and everything, so it was like, yeah, I want to make a bunch of noise going through the front door. We'd just go out the back door and walk around to the road and walk around the block. We're not bothering anybody, and it's just quicker access so we did that we walked around 
walked out the back door, down a couple of steps, and walked to the road through the side of the yard. Now, as soon as we got to the road from from the corner of the yard, where the, where my parents' front yard meets the the woods on the lower side, uh, we started hearing footsteps, heavy leaves and sticks breaking. And we heard this, and we would stop. It's like, did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. What was that? I don't know. But it would stop, too. It, would, it wouldn't walk while we were walking, or it wouldn't move while we were walking. So we're kind of we're kind of a little bit like, huh, that's weird, because we never, you know, we're in the middle of the city. The, sub, the subdivision has all these street lights. We've never been afraid to go walking out at night. I mean, it's not like I live in the middle of the West End or Alberta or Holder somewhere, you know, um, where some of the questionable people live. This is yeah, okay. the east side of the town. There's no, there's no crime. There's no, no. There's a cemetery across from the road from the neighborhood. We're nowhere near all that. And it's not even a scary cemetery. It's just one of these well grooms, more like a park than anything. So we're not worried or anything. We're just kind of like, yeah, it could be a deer, it could be a rabbit. Okay, so we keep walking all the way down to two, three hundred feet to the street light. And as we're walking, we're hearing this, and the whole time that's what we're talking about. I was like, well, what could that be? You know. So I finally came up with the conclusion that it was one of my friends messing with me. Because um, a lot of my friends, I was pretty much the first person in my group to get a girlfriend. And I spent a lot of time with I spent every Friday with her. And that's when they wanted to hang with me and go get into shit, you know. And I was like, nah, I'm going to hang out with my girl, you know. So a lot of my friends were bothered by this. And I understand that. But at the time, I was like getting angry. It's like, man, this dude's messing with us, you know, because I kind of figured who it was. I was like, man, this dude's messing with us. I'm going to beat his ass. Um, he's sick and tired of this, you know, scaring my girlfriend. You know, I'm getting angry and aggravated because, you know, I don't like being played with like that, you know. So we walked to the edge of, of that forest where it ends at that pumping station. There's a street light on a pole. And at the time, there was this huge lollipop pine. It was about a foot in diameter. It was huge. And it went straight up. Okay. So that's where we stopped. We stopped at the street light right at the edge of those woods. And we're like, do we want to keep going or you just want to turn back? And we decided as we're talking about it, that pine tree just starts shaking like hell. I mean, it just starts like it was nothing. It just starts shaking. Pine cones falling out of it. And we're looking at the tree. We're looking at it moving. I mean, it's just shaking real fast. Like just the branches are up way up high. You know, they're making noise. Everything that was in the trees, coming out of the trees, just shaking real hard. And I'm like, one part of my brain is like, no human can do that because that tree's way too big. The other part of me is like, man, this dude is fucking with us. 
is going to get a serious ass kicking. He's going to get beat down. I'm getting mad. You know, so two two sides of my brain are fighting. April is getting scared because, I mean, she's not thinking that it's anybody messing with it. She's thinking it's something. She's just scared. She thinks we're about to get a, a, a robbed or attacked or something. And her being a female, you know, she's like, you know. So I told her we'll walk back. We'll walk on the other side of the road. Give us a little bit of time. Something comes out of the woods. It'll be all right. So that's what we did. We walked on the other side of the road. And the whole time, same deal. Footsteps the whole way back. So then we get to the corner of the yard. Now, this is the part I'm getting a little bit nervous about. But I'm still convinced that it's some, you know, one of my friends messing with me. So we got to enter back into the yard on the lower side. It's pitch black. There's no, uh, there's a street light on the corner there, but it's not lighting up the yard. The trees and everything are, are causing the shadows and stuff to cover that whole side of the yard. So it's pitch black. I see nothing. But I hear these damn footsteps, okay? And they're not coming out of the woods. It's like, so I told, I'm getting, I'm getting mad. I told April, I said, you go sit on the steps. I'll be right back. So I walked down the wood line um, on the lower side of my parents' yard about halfway where this, uh, the tree had fell over and there was this big root ball. It's been there for years. It's just a pile of dirt now, but it was where a tree had fell over from a storm. And it's just this, just this mound now, okay? And... Based on where I stopped and where I heard the footsteps stop, you know, my friend that was messing with me in my mind had had ducked behind that root ball where the tree had fallen. And he's going to come out and he's going to scare me and I'm going to beat his ass and that's going to be that. Well, I picked up a stick. You know, I I I didn't hear any more footsteps. I heard, you know, I I kind of knew that that, you know, whoever it was was knelt was near was hiding behind that root ball. So I picked up a stick. I said, you know, I'm not gonna beat this dude's ass. I'm just gonna knock him out with this stick. So I tossed the stick over the root ball, like arched it, so it falls straight down right behind. The root ball, so we hit whatever was behind there. You know, I kind of threw it up, and it went over and landed straight down on where, you know, right behind that root ball. So I'd hit whatever was behind there. Everything's black. It's pitch black. I don't see anything. Right when the stick landed, I I had thrown it and kind of had bent over after I thrown it to look. So I'm starting to stand up straight now. And as I'm standing up straight, this big, dark, smelly shadow stands up as I do. It just kind of raises up. And I'm like frozen. At this point, I I don't know what I'm looking at. I, I smell this thing. It smells like everything. 
I mean, it smells like shit, piss, funk, <laughs> funk, everything. I mean, it's. Stinks to high heaven. Okay. This this thing does not know what deodorant is. Obviously. So, you know, and I'm sitting there like trying to process everything that's going on. It's like, oh my God. And when it stood up, it jumped over me. Like I'm right in front of this root ball. It was right behind it. It stood up, jumped over me. It took off running on two feet across the yard, across the corner of the yard from where I was to the backwoods, and it kept running. It, it it didn't stop running, and it sounded like a freight train running through the forest. So I I don't I got chill bumps right now just remembering it. So I, I, I'm frozen in fear. I, I don't know what what just happened. Obviously, it wasn't my friend fucking with me. And I don't know. What, I, I, I'm like, well, if it wanted me dead, it could have killed me. So there's that. What was that smell? There was that. And what the hell did I just see? So I kind of walk back to... April on the steps and I look at her and that's when I knew what I saw was real. I wasn't imagining it because I looked at her. She was, she was so pale from fear. She was glowing in the dark. She was frozen solid on those steps. I had to pick her up and lead her back inside. And she couldn't say anything. She was uh, was kind of mumbling things at first. And then she was like, you know, tell me what that was. What was that? You know. And then I had, I calmed her down just to ask her, what did you see exactly? Because I know what I saw, but what did you see? Did we, did we see the same thing? Was, was that real? And we talked about it for a little while. And, yeah, we both saw the same thing. We both, um, you know, pretty much never went through that door again. And we didn't go on our nightly walks anymore. That was done. And I was with her for seven years on that stretch. And, like I said, that was the very beginning of our relationship. Now, one thing that we did do... She asked me the next, she asked me um, when she left, she called me to see if I was okay. I said, yeah, I don't like having my room on the ground floor, but the windows are locked and um, everything's good, you know. But before we hung up that, that night, she was like, you need to go out there at first thing in the morning and you need to look for tracks. She She's like, you need to look for Footsteps, tracks, whatever. Because whatever it was had to have left tracks. I was like, yeah, you're you're right. I'll, I'll do that. So I went to the next morning to look, you know, where, where the path that it had went when it jumped over me. And there were no tracks? There were no tracks. I didn't see any tracks anywhere. I followed... I, I followed... Um, 
I didn't go the whole way down the road, but I went into the woods a little bit by the road just to see if there was a disturbance in some of the trees or branches or whatever. It didn't look like anything was bothering. I went behind that root ball and looked. I didn't see anything. And I I I looked across the path across the yard where it ran. And that side always gets mud. And um, I don't know if it was just too dry or what. But I looked the next morning. Didn't see any tracks where it ran off into the woods. Didn't hear anything. Didn't see anything. Now, I never saw. I never saw it again. Now, dumb me, me and William. Still went camping in those woods after that. We still, life as usual. Because um, my, my you know, I told April, I was like, look, I, I grew up in those woods and nothing has ever bothered me. And obviously, if it, whatever that was, if it wanted to bother me, it could have done it then when I hit it with a stick. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to keep living my life. And I grew up in those woods. That's my home, too, you know. And uh, so she named it Fred. And if you, if the listening audience hasn't guessed by now what the creature was that I saw, I am 99.99% certain that it was a Sasquatch. I think it was a juvenile. I think it was a young guy, like a teenager, like we were. Uh, hence, it's curiosity. And I think once it realized that I was willing to hit it with a stick, that it left wherever it came from and probably didn't want to interact with humans anymore after that. It was like I said, I never seen it. It had plenty, plenty of... Habitat, um, you know, and uh, up until fairly recently, um, it had plenty of habitat. And another thing I was, I was telling my mom, you know, because last couple of years, we've been seeing a lot more deer and we've been seeing a lot more wild hogs in our yard. In fact, the game warden comes every three or four months, sets traps for the hogs. Last time, a couple weeks ago, he caught 13 of them. Uh, we never used to see hogs and deer. Um, deer every now and then, but the hogs, we never saw hogs. Um, so whenever they started developing back there and got rid of this habitat, uh, I kind of feel like it drove our, our friend further into the woods and his food supply is able to flourish because he moved out of the area. Is my thinking. Um. So I don't know what I think you and I talked about it the other day. I don't know what I don't know what brought it up. But I got to revisiting this experience in my home. And I kind of felt like, you know, I want to kind of see where things are in the world today as far as Sasquatch goes. Because before, after that, I didn't really pay any attention to it. 
Um, I'd hear something weird in the woods every now and again, blame an owl or something. Um, that was the extent of it. Before my experience, I just thought Bigfoot was a mythical creature um, that was just, you know, Indian folklore, you know, Native American folklore, you know, and that all the sightings and everything were either hoaxes or lunatics. You know, like, I put it in the realm of alien abduction, okay? And <laughs> uh, until it happened to me, and like I said, I have a witness. She's out there somewhere. I don't know where April is today. I don't know where she's at. But if you ever want to double-check my story, uh, she will tell the exact same story pretty much. Uh, so we saw something. Um, I We came to the conclusion that it had to have been Sasquatch. Um now, her belief system is a little bit different than mine. She believes in ghosts, and she believes in apparitions and all that and everything. So she totally bought into the fact. She's the one that swore up and down that it was Sasquatch. I was a little bit more reluctant to come around to that, uh, just like I said, because I put it in the same realm as alien abductions and crop circles and all that. And I was like, you know. May have been true at one time, but this, we live in the modern world. We would have had one by now. Um, blah, blah, blah. So after you and I had brought it up a while back, uh, like I said, I don't even know what, what brought that up. Um, I just went down the rabbit hole. What is the state of Sasquatch today, 2022? And that brought me down a whole other rabbit hole. Um, I, I ran across this gentleman, and I'm going to speak... Very highly of him from now on, based on uh, his thoroughness. Um, and he is a Canadian who lives in Japan, and he's married to a Japanese woman, and he's he's full-time Japanese citizen. And uh, his name is Kyle, Kyle Brink. And he came across the uh, Bigfoot phenomenon, or I prefer to call it Sasquatch. In Japan, they call it the Hibagam, hence the name of the episode. He came across it quite by accident like I did. His, his experience was he saw a, a sea monster. Kind of blew his mind a little bit, and he was like, huh. So he went down this road of Hibagam, Research and he's connecting the dots from traditional Japanese history and etymology, like uh, a lot of the names of towns and stuff uh, are rooted in this this creature. And I went. He's got a book and it's called Hibakon Japanese Bigfoot by Kyle Brink, second edition. Uh, he stresses the second edition. In fact, if you have the first edition and you send him a picture of you holding it, he will send you the second edition for free um, just to make sure you have an updated version of his research. Um, but, yeah, I bought the book. I didn't really I didn't really feel like I was in a position to buy a new book because the only way I could get this book is to buy it. Um, 
It doesn't have an Audible or an ebook version or a Kindle version or anything like that. But I was happy to support this fellow because his knowledge and he's discovered things about Japanese history that Japanese haven't even don't even know about. Um, like he he found this artificial mound that the the Japanese the, the, on maps it's listed as a mountain, but he um, is kind of in the he the Hiba mountain range. Hiba is a mountain in in Japan, and Hibagon is you know the Hiba monster. Gone being Japanese for monster, the Hiba monster. And uh, the, he found he came across some of these rare pictures where farmers in 1970 found a body of a hebagon. And he doesn't have very many pictures. He's just got like two or three. Um, but he goes back and we and we study the remains. And um, he's had, you know, he's he's had hematologists reconstruct the the, the facial features. Uh, he's determined the cause of death based on these photos. He's determined the gender of the creature based on these photos. So um, they're authentic pictures. Um, so I I accepted as proof. Okay, if ja- Japan has has a Bigfoot, and the thing about it is every culture has a Bigfoot. Uh, there's the Yowie in Australia, the Yeti in the Himalayas. There's the uh, the Hibakon in in Japan. Uh, Vietnam, they call them rock apes, uh, which our soldiers in Vietnam have tremendous stories about actually going to battle with who they thought were Viet Cong, but turned out to be rock apes. Um, in the southeast, we call them skunk apes. I certainly know why. Uh, I didn't get that far into that. I, I just started scratching the surface when we... Uh, well, he doesn't talk about the Vietnam. He he yeah. strictly focuses on ja- Japan. And his, idea, his philosophy there is, he goes, I live in Japan. He goes, I don't live in North America. I don't live... So my area of study will be Japan only. Mm-hmm. And he, what he wants to do is he and he enlisted me. I I got into contact with him. I was I was so compelled uh, by what this dude, had, the research this guy has done, and the authenticity that 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 is obviously there. I reached out to him. Well, he well yeah. I made a comment on one of his YouTube videos. And he reached out to me, and he wanted to know my story. So I told the story in the comment section, and he was like. Uh, do I have permission to tell your story in the next Q&A video that I do? I said, yeah, you, you do have my permission. I didn't tell it very well. I told it here a lot better because now my memory's starting to go back a little bit. And um, like I said, leading up to I knew we were going to do this episode, uh, so I had time to think about it and, and kind of get my order, my thoughts in order. Um Instead, just relying strictly on what I can remember immediately. I have time to kind of get things back up to the surface because it was a long time ago, and for a long time I didn't really think about it. But um, Kyle Brinks is this gentleman's name, and he does a video series on YouTube, which I didn't get to. Um, 
that that his his purpose for the videos is to complement the book. Um and so he kind of treats each video as like a lesson that you know that he's he as you go through and the videos are chronological. You want to start from the very, very, very first one. And you kind of discover things as he discovers things, but he already knows everything. And he's laying it out slowly and methodically to give you time to think about it. And if you feel like debating him, he's open to that. But he's like, look, whatever debate you can bring to the table, I've already debated with myself. So it's going to take a lot to kind of change my mind on this. So where I'm at on the, the Hibagum is that there are Japanese people in hot spots around Japan that just disappear, just disappear out of the thin blue sky. And nobody really... Nobody in Japan really kind of, they just, they just report them missing and that's it. They don't really investigate anything. They don't really, they just, uh, they're gone. And Japanese culture is very weird that way, you know. Yeah, it's weird. We all freak out. Like, oh no, somebody, which, you know, is your mom or dad or, you know, your kid, you know. It's (laughs) Chinese on some things. They're, 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 it's just a different culture. But what I learned from Kyle or Mr. Brinks, I feel like, I feel like he should be called Professor Brinks at this point. But 75% of Japan is uninhabitable by humans. It's just, it's too mountainous, too, it's just, there's no way it can support uh, any kind of life. So you have these very narrow roads connecting cities. They don't have an interstate system like we do. From one town to one village, these very one, very narrow one-lane roads that go up and down through these mountains. You got a drop off on one side, and you got a cliff face on the other side. You know, and uh, most people live on the coast. Um, But there are villages dotted in the interior that are very isolated from the outside world, but they are connected by these very narrow roads that, you know, you can get from point A to point B, but, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, to, and Japan is a lot bigger than people think it is. Um, it's long, may not be very wide, but it's long. So if you were to put it in Europe, it would stretch from Paris to Moscow, you know. And 75% of that is uninhabitable. And there's a region that where the, he, the Heba Mountain is protected. It's owned by the imperial family. And the reason it's owned by the imperial family is because Japanese origin story, the creation story of Japan, is on that mountain. Um, the, the, the wife of the original emperor, the first emperor, is buried at the summit of he, he, um, Mount Hiba. 
So you're not allowed to log on that mountain. You're not allowed to mine on that mountain. You're not allowed to do anything. So it's all old growth forest on this mountain. At the top of it is the supposed tomb in the form of a megalith um, of the first emperor's wife. And um, it's kind of interesting because her name translates into English as old hag or bitch. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like I said, the Japanese culture is very fascinating. She She's not a... Um, uh, she's not a very likable ki- character in Japanese history. And as the story goes, she was she gave birth to a fire baby that burnt her loins. And the next two children were shit and piss and throw up. <laughs> okay. And uh, <laughs> literally, literally, literally. Okay. And uh, as a result, the first mm. emperor sent her to hell, or she was sent to hell for having these awful children. And that's how that that's how. Um, I, I'm sorry to any Japanese listener, but. It's just you can't. <laughs> it is funny to us, you know, because that's their origin of shit, piss, and throw up. Was that the first emperor birthed them as children, and that's <coughs> that's how they were put upon this earth. So she was a very vile woman, and he, the first emperor, uh, went to hell after her. And he discovered that it was too late. She was a half rotting corpse that could not die, as 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 the legend goes. And he could not bring her back. Um, but her tomb is on top of Mount Heba. Now, I, Kyle hasn't connected these dots yet, but I kind of got ahead of the game here. And I haven't started reading the book yet. That will be imminent. But I kind of feel like the dots he's connecting with the origin story have a lot to do with the Hebagon. Um, like maybe the Hebagon, she gave birth to a Hebagon. You know, she was raped by one and gave birth to it. And there was a lot of problems during the birth of this hybrid child and the first emperor. Because these beings were there before any humans were. That That's pretty much established um so that that's kind of like i said he hasn't connected those dots yet but i kind of feel like that's where he's leading up to because the origin uh i think heba itself has uh uh the etymology of the word heba has a lot to do with like monkey monkey or, or something like that and um he kind of he's he's kind of like they didn't have a word for this creature, so it's like you know you're really really you know how we double up words like really really monkey like you know, and so he's kind of like they doubled up on monkey because it's like really really not a monkey but it's a really 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 monkey you know. Uh, he may not be, but there is one word that he covers that that, that does mean monkey, monkey. But Heba, uh, the or and this mountain is like 
one of the areas where a lot of these Japanese it's five hundred okay, Tokyo's got thirteen million people. Okay, thirteen million people live in Tokyo. In Hiroshima, near where he lives, the miss there's one person went missing in Tokyo. Thirteen million people. Which it was not a Hibagon hot spot. There's not a hot spot for these creatures in t- in the area where Tokyo is. He's got it mapped out where the hot spots are. And they line up perfectly where these missing people go. The area where the Mount Hiba is near Hiroshima, it's 500% more missing people than Tokyo. And Tokyo's got 13 million people. So my thing is, first of all, I know they exist here because I've seen one. I don't know if anybody's going to believe me or not. That's fine. You can test me, quiz me, however you want to do it. I'll take a lie detector test. Uh, I never thought about that, but I would if it was important to somebody. I'm not paying for it, but if somebody else wanted to, you know, it's 800 bucks that I'm just. Now, when I when we first started talking about this, yeah, one of the things that I I'm like, okay, if, if these because the the uh, monolith is what caught my is really what kind of that's stuck what out. caught my attention too, and I and I kind of feel like he's connecting dots. The same, I think he's going to where I've already gotten to. I got ahead of him. And to people who don't people who don't know what a, a monolith if you know if you've ever seen Stonehenge that's considered a monolith. Um, nobody can figure out how these rocks got in the formation that they got into, but yet they're there. Um, and what's the one what's the one thing people keep saying? Humans <clears throat> couldn't have lifted these rocks. Humans couldn't have done this. So you've had anything from aliens to magic powers to you know, but I have a different theory. And I'm and I'm you know, not like oh no these don't these things don't exist or whatever. I'm not one of those people. I am one of those. I'm, I'm just if if you know we exist on the earth. Why can't you know? Why can't all this other stuff? I mean, it it had to come from somewhere. So, um, well, I just, I just, I just don't discount, discount the theories is what I'm saying. Well, here's another thing to think about. And it's a a lot of people who are pro Sasquatch or pro Bigfoot, they don't really make this argument, but I will. Every cult, they'll, they'll bring it up, but they won't connect the dots. Okay. They won't really explain why it's important. Every culture in the world, has a Bigfoot story or a Bigfoot legend, okay? Now, in today's world, it's easy to explain. Well, we got the internet. Everybody talks to each other. Back then, these cultures did not talk to The Aborigines didn't talk to Native Americans and First First Nations people in North America. They didn't know each other existed. So how do they have the same myths, the same legends? You know, you got the Yowie in Australia. You've, you know, you've got Sasquatch here in North America. You got the Hibagon. Nobody knew Japan existed. I mean, not until you know, much later. You, you know, 
And even then, you don't have the internet. The Japanese people aren't telling the Americans who are trading with them, oh, yeah, we got these mountain fuckers that just snatch up our women every now and then. Y'all got any of those over there? No, they're not talking about it. I mean, you know? And um, so that uh, that leads more questions than answers to me because you you don't have the internet, you don't have TV, you don't have science fiction movies. You have cultures all over the world that did not interact with each other, did not know each other existed, having the same similar stories. You know what I'm saying? That to me, and these creatures, they didn't just disappear. I mean, they didn't just up and die off one day. I believe there's less of them now than there ever was, but I, you know, by my math alone and just looking at maps and shit, there could be as many as 20,000 of these things in, in the United States alone. And and Kyle helped do the math too in Japan. He was like, you know, Neanderthal had a clan, a clan of Neanderthal humans um, had a range of twenty three miles, okay, uh, uh, of where they would travel, okay. And so you take that math and you apply it to. You know, you you would say, okay, Neanderthal, you know, living off a lot of meat and this, that, and the other. Um, you could take that and apply it to the Sasquatch. Okay, and so you do that math, and all all the different nooks and crannies in America that that would give you at least twenty three miles per clan if they lived in family groups. Um, it's just. <laughs> I mean, the number's unreal. Unless Stroud, um, he's noticed a pattern um, based on bears. Um, he's like, wherever you see a lot of bear activity, you see a lot of Sasquatch activity. And his theory is, um, well, the skeptic is like, okay, well, you know, that's easy. They mistake these creatures for bears. You know, that's that's why there's a connection. Or it could be that whatever habitat can sustain something the size of a bear could also sustain something the size of a Sasquatch. Okay. Um, that's kind of my take on it because, like I said, I know they exist. I don't have anything to prove to anybody. I've, I've seen one. And I smelt it. And that's something I didn't notice until fair, fairly recently that that was a thing that everybody notices this, this odor whenever they don't see it, but they smell this odor somewhere. And there's different speculations as to what the odor is. A lot of them think it's a fear pheromone, like a skunk, like a protective thing. You know, when it wants something to go away, it releases this 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 odor. I'm thinking it's a big hairy thing that doesn't take baths and eats raw meat and shits. And, you know, I'm just thinking all these different smells. Uh, you know, yeah, why would it smell good? <laughs> you know. It's not like there's a Yeti on TV go or a, a Sasquatch on TV going, try my 
new clone, Ode to Sasquatch, you know. <laughs> well, you know, like, like Kyle, Mr. Brinks was asking me, you know, what I felt the end goal should be. And I'm like, I think they need to be accepted as real um, because there's enough evidence for me that they're real. Um, I think they need to be listed as endangered and protected. I don't think we should go putting them off into extinction. Uh, And we should also just leave them alone because they are dangerous. Um, You know, they're stealing people in Japan. And this is something I learned from Native American culture. You know when the Native Americans raise their hand and they, they 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 say how you know that's how they say hello and everything you know. Do you know why that tradition started the showing of the hand? No, I learned this very recently. It is to show that um, they did not have Sasquatch blood in them; that they were not hybrid. Sasquatch, because Sasquatch would steal their women and rape them, and there would be hybrids. So the Native Americans would introduce each other or greet each other by showing their hand, and that would reveal whether or not they were part Sasquatch. I didn't know that. Till fairly recently, uh, and I've only heard one one Native American tell that story, and uh, it's going to be is, hard finding that again. Is there any, is there any research to uh, suggest you know how long these things have been you know on the? I'm, I'm guessing before before us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, it, they evolved. My my guess, and we don't really know because we're still arguing whether or not they exist. Mm-hmm. But there are some people that think that it is Gigantopithecus, which we do know existed. We have bones, we have skeletons, we know which was a super ape. It was like twice the size of, of us. Um... I don't necessarily think it was Gigantopithecus. I I think it evolved. Um, I I just think it's another human that evolved down another path, you know. Uh, Because Gigantopithecus was an ape, okay? And um, this creature, Sasquatch, Hebegon, Yowie, whatever you want to call it, this creature is at least as smart as we are, if not smarter. It doesn't act like an ape. It acts like a human. You you know what I mean? So it's brain function. It's got higher functioning brain than an ape would. You know? Because if it was... Les Strauss said this. If it was an ape, we would have one in a zoo by now. You you know? (laughs) So... There's a lot on the table as far as what exactly it is. Um, I just think it's a different branch of human. They just went one way, we went another way. 
And they just happen to like our women. <laughs> okay. That's a theme. Uh, That's yeah. a theme throughout Native American history. It's a theme throughout Japanese history. Uh, and I think they steal our, our uh, human women because I just don't think there's enough of them to repopulate. Uh, and I think, you know, I think that instinct to procreate is just so strong. It's just like, I, I you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm gonna go grab this human real quick. You know, no, no different than humans. Well, you could you could debate that with this generation, but well, there, there. I think there's good and bad Sasquatch or Hebagon, whatever you want to call it. I think they're just like us in that way. There's some that would like to know us and befriend us and work with us, but are afraid of us. And then I think there's others who are just savages, like the, you know they'd be the psychopath. He'd be gone. That you know they just just look at us like we do. Some of us do them. Well, if I see one, I'm going to kill it. You know, and that's another thing. Everybody that's had an encounter, it's like, did you have a gun? Yeah, I had a gun. Well, why didn't you shoot it? I just couldn't shoot it. It was too human. You know, it felt like murder to me. You know. And uh, that was that's another thing is really because that's the thing I felt whenever I saw whenever I had my encounter, it was like I was scared, but at the same time I'm like you know if it could have hurt me it would have you, you know it had every opportunity to land on me. This is eight hundred nine hundred pounds seven foot tall. Um. It could have landed on top of me when it jumped over me and just fucking ripped me apart. I mean, easy. I, I mean, April would probably be in a mental hospital to this day had she witnessed that. But, you know, the thing didn't do that. It ran away. Now, I think if it was an adult male, maybe that would have happened to me. That's one of the reasons I think it was a juvenile. Um, because... I just I just don't think it was a, as aggressive yet as some of them can be, as I've heard. And part of me wants to uh, go to the other side of the creek where you know where Hurricane Creek State Park is. There are trails back there still. Um, part of me like wants to grab my gear and my bike and. Just kind of go take a look, see, see if I see what I see, you know. And the other part of me is like, dude, you're 46 years old. Um, leave well enough alone. You're doing pretty good right now. Just if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Curiosity killed the cat, all that good stuff, you know. So uh, I'm kind of interested to do my own research i don't like being somebody to sit on the sidelines and just chime in you know i, I kind of feel like i'm gonna roll my sleeves up and get involved i only have the one encounter and that was a long time ago and i didn't handle things the way i would have now had i encountered it you know i might have tried to talk to the damn thing had i known what i was looking at you know some people have not, have traded food with it, you, you know, left apples and stuff out. And 
I remember this one story. Um, oh, it's a long story. How how much time we got? You want to hear it? It's a long story. Sure. Okay. Um, there was this couple, and they were newlyweds, and they just bought their first house, and it was. It was out in the rural community, so I don't remember exactly where this was. I could find out to verify, but I don't. But right now, I don't remember where it was. And uh, she, uh, the dude went to work a lot, and the wife was left at the house. You know, beautiful acreage. You know, like I said, it was in the rural part. You know, it was in. It was in. It was in a country setting. You know, it was. It was everything that they wanted. You know, and then they uh, start having some weird experiences. Like they leave. They leave their bedroom window open at night, and his his wife would watch TV, and the husband would just go to sleep pretty quick. He'd go to sleep. She'd stay up a little while and watch TV, and they'd have their bedroom. A window open because they didn't, you know, they didn't have central air yet. You know, they just had bought the house and put money into it and everything. And she kept hearing noises just right outside the window, you know. So she'd wake the husband up, you know, did you hear that? He's like, no, sleep, you crazy, whatever. Well, he, uh, Okay, how did it how did it happen? Okay. He had finally it kept getting worse, okay. So he had moved his shed over by the window. So if there was somebody out there they couldn't get to the window because of his shed. And they went out one night and and the shed was like thrown across the yard. It was just like like a tornado had got it. And he had, uh, he went and got the shed. He was trying to put it back together. <laughs> and he had saw the creature at, at, the, at, the, at the end of the woods. And he, he was going to shoot it, but again, it was too human, you know. So he decided to bait it away from the house instead of, you know, he figured, okay, I'm not going to overpower this thing. I'm not going to get rid of it, but I'm going to feed it, but I'm going to leave the food away from the house so it doesn't get close. You know, it gets the food and goes on its way, you know. So he started feeding it like fruit. You know, he started leaving. Fruit. And his wife's not believing him. His wife is like, because she didn't see it. And he's like getting obsessed. He's like, oh shit, that scared the fuck out of me. Uh, <laughs> he's getting obsessed. You know, he's buying all kind of bananas and fruit and peanut butter. And the next day it's gone. Like, as much as he could feed this thing, the food's always gone. And she's like getting mad because he's spending money that they don't have on on feeding the wild animals in the, in the woods, and she's not having any part of it, you know. 
And he's he's feeding more and more fruit, more and more. It's just as much as he could throw at this thing, is eating it. And he has actually gotten close to it a couple times, and he knew that it was a female. And he kept referring to it as a her. And his wife is just like about ready. They almost got divorced. She's about ready to leave him over this. He's thinking okay. he's lost. How do you tell what gender they are? They got boobies. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, so, you know the famous Patterson film? The, the one that everybody... You know, the one that was te- filmed in California, the one that everybody studies, was it a host, is it not a host? Mm-hmm. That was a female. Okay. So, um, so anyway, they're about to get divorced over this. She, His wife is just like, I've had enough, okay? Until one day, she's backing her car out of the driveway, and she looks up at the edge of the woods, and she sees... The creature. And she says the thing about it was that really got me was she was holding a little baby creature. So this dude was feeding the cravings of a pregnant Sasquatch. (laughs) He didn't know she was pregnant, but she'd given birth to her little baby. And she wanted his wife to see, hey, you know, um... Your husband did a good thing. You know, he didn't, you know, it was basically showing her, like, I wouldn't have been able to have my baby if your husband didn't help me, you know. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, she never questioned her husband. She never, but they never saw the creature again. She had her baby and she left. And uh, she never bothered him at all after that. And, um, so the woman's the one that told the story. You know, she wrote it in. And uh, I just thought it was weird that, you know, she knew that they were having problems because of her. And right when she's ready to leave her husband, you know, the the, the mama Sasquatch is just kind of looking at her with her baby. It's like, look, you know, he wasn't lying to you. You, you know, I, it was a real thing, you, you know. And she had her baby and she left him alone after that. And, uh, but the whole, the details of that story are crazy leading up to that point. I mean, the <laughs> stuff that her husband would do, it's like, like I said, it was enough to drive her where she was ready to leave him. She was yeah, like, especially if you're buying, like, you know, pounds and pounds of fruit and sticking it, you know, yeah, yeah. She's like, the woods, she's you like know? you're feeding the entire forest, you know, you're, you're, you're fucking crazy, you know. And he's like, trust me on this, you know, I'm, she's hungry and she's got no food and she, I feel like she's in trouble, you know. He didn't know she was pregnant or anything. And he only seen her a few times, you know, like he would leave the food out and just kind of watch and he'd see her come up and grab the food and then he would be like, you know, okay, she's got the food and he'd just leave her alone, you know. 
But the wife was just not having any of this. You know, you've lost your fucking mind. You're feeding the entire forest this food that we need for groceries. This, that, and the other thing. And right when she gets ready to leave, she's like at her within. And I think she is leaving when she pulls out of the driveway. I think that was her last straw and she was just ready to go. Um, and that's when she saw the, the mama showed herself with her little baby. And it was like, it was as if to say, hey, your husband was doing a good thing. He, I wouldn't have survived. My, I couldn't have had my baby. You know, don't, you know, don't let this be a trouble for you. I'm gone. You know? <coughs> and then there's stories of Vietnam veterans in Vietnam thinking they're being ambushed by, by the enemy only to find out that they're being ambushed by rock apes, you, you know, which that's what the Vietnamese call their Sasquatch, were a lot smaller than ours here in North America. And um, brutal, brutal stories in Vietnam about the rock apes. If you know a Vietnam veteran saw combat, ask him about a rock ape. Chances are he'll know exactly what the hell you're talking about. I'll have to look into that because I do study... Uh one of I love history, and one of the things that I, I frequently uh, um, study in particular, there are two I study World War One and World War Two in Vietnam. I haven't gotten so much into Korea, um, but um, I, I haven't collected them like a mount massive amount of data or anything on it, but, um, it's just, um, fascinating. Uh, I think it's cause I can't go in the military. So I, I you know, I, vicarious living or something, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It is, it is interesting. And like I said, this, this led me down a rabbit hole just based on one experience that I almost forgot about. Um, you know, and it brought it came to the surface actually a couple of years ago. Um, a coworker of mine had an encounter on his way to work. I'm not going to say anything about his story because he was very embarrassed to tell me about it. And uh, you know, he drugged me down aisle 18. And it was like, you know, <laughs> he he was like he was beating around the bush so hard that I was finally just like, tell me what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> he, was, he was like, do you believe in Bigfoot? I was like, damn, why are you asking me that? He goes, J -j do you believe in Bigfoot? And I thought about it from there. I was like, well, yeah, well, yeah, I saw one. You know, I was like, yeah, duh. You, you know, he's like, he goes, well, what happened? So I told him, I, you know, and like I said, I hadn't told anybody for years up until that point. And he told me his story. His just crossed the road. And, you know, he thought he was seeing things. And I said, I said, no, uh, they, they do exist. They are here in Alabama. And where you live, I'm not surprised that you saw one. I'm surprised it took you so long, but uh, I'm not surprised that you seen one. I said, and I was like, did you run it over? Did you hit it? He goes, no. I said, he goes, it took two steps. Crossing roads, a two lane road. It's one foot hit the white line, the second foot hit the yellow line, 
and the other foot hit the white line, and it was back into the woods. Now, you you could you could you know this would probably get loop, loop, looped into people that believe in aliens and UFOs and. Like I said, I was one Which of those. I don't. I don't. I don't discredit that at all because. You know, well, the alien things a whole different thing, and I I walk that with a very fine line because there's truth there, and then there's these there's these people that have overactive imaginations, just like the Bigfoot community. N- not all Bigfoot people are legit. Um, there's this dude floating around. YouTube called Dr. Johnson who's basically a cult leader you know you email him and you, you tell him all this and he's got names for them you know that they that they teleport between universes and there's Zork and you know he gives them these, these crazy ass names which you know all my other research does not indicate anything to do with aliens there is a there's a paleontological path that we can follow here if 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 you're on board with the idea of sasquatch and 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 you're like okay this this dude exists there paleontology can lead you there okay you know we know there were different kind of humans 30, 40,000 years ago. We we know what kind of life they lived. We know what kind of brain they had. Um, we know that Neanderthal couldn't breed with, with, with Homo sapien, but we know that they tried. <laughs> okay? I mean, they, they tried in earnest to where the Homo sapiens were... Afraid of the Neanderthal, and just like we're afraid of bears and lions and tigers, you you know. And the ancient Homo sapiens lived side by side with Neanderthal for a long time, and could could Sasquatch be a, an evolutionary relative of the Neanderthal? Um, could be, could be. I I don't know. Um, I just know what I saw, and I I know, and I know enough to know when somebody's being legit, like if they're telling a real encounter story or if they're making it up. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's certain things that I won't tell about my story that ha- that is, has in common with other stories. And I'm going to leave those details out because, you know, there's enough fiction in the world. There's enough people looking at this like the the people that believe are crazy. But, you know, there was a time we thought the earth was flat. And then there was a time we we went back to thinking the earth was flat. So if you can make an argument that the earth is flat, let me have Sasquatch. Okay, because my Sasquatch makes a hell of a lot more sense than your Earth being flat. <clears throat> In my humble opinion. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely, I'd never really thought about it that much until we started talking about 
about your your story and uh it's like well my first thought was uh like harry and the hendersons <laughs> you know um because that's at the time that's all i had i, I haven't told delve into this or um it, it's just not and then you know i've never met anybody that encountered this kind of thing or or you know looked looked into it but um uh we started talking about this and then you told me about kyle uh kyle and um the uh you know the fact that he was in japan and i and i am fascinated by many different cultures i mean uh anthropology is sort of a pseudo hobby of mine um that i do from my couch you know not not something you really can do from that but i, I just i'm that's my uh one of the things i'm fascinated by and um japan has always their culture in all asian cultures really um uh japan china um and and you know some places in the british isles i've just i've seen documentaries about things and um, i'm also a student of uh or was a student at one time of martial arts um which drew me to um this when I was practicing uh, uh, many years ago, I found out that all martial arts is derived from Shaolin temples, um, or so it is said. It's the beginning, and then it kind of branches out from there. Um, and that led me to, you know, learning about other people's, you know, people's histories and cultures and. Uh, most and other things like movies will you know you know like well i know this is fiction but what about you know what are these people really like or what you know uh what what you know what to, what is this country about um and uh the fact that this was in japan is kind of you know it's like oh that's you know this, you know, this is just so much there and there's so many layers to this, like this thing. I started asking questions like, are these, are these like a tribal thing? Are they pods or, or are they, uh, you know, what kind of society does this, does this creature have? What kind of social, uh, structure does it adhere to you know that kind of thing um which i which i was like wow i and this all started from me your you know this in combination with the story that you told me years ago um uh, just sort of sparked that whole thing i'm like wow these this is just you know fascinating and then you add to that how did the how did monoliths you know create and stuff like that and it's just questions on top of questions that are just fascinating that's the thing isn't it when you when you get close to an answer five more questions pop up it's like i never once in all the the like the thing with the megalith i I was like i would have never connected that to bigfoot but it makes total sense now it does 
Yeah, because so, cause so many other questions got answered. And now I'm like, holy. <laughs> I'm thinking like, you know, um, you know, we hear stories of like the Aztecs doing human sacrifices and stuff, you know. And it's like, you know, in order for society to do that, what are they afraid of? You know, what put so much fear into a society that they're going to sacrifice their own people to appease whatever they're afraid of? Something you know? something they can't explain. Something that they saw that, you know. Well, exactly. And, yeah. And, and you start to figure it out. All these, all these megaliths that are, that are all over the world, no human can move these stones, they say. And, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, if, uh, if you've got some dude that's weighed 800 pounds and he's like 100 times stronger than a human... Lifting up a boulder would not be a problem for one of them. And if you got a little clan together to have, you know, they need to navigate across these mountains of Japan. And I think that's what they do. I think they use these megaliths as navigational tools. Now in North America, you know, they use sticks, tree structures, is what they call them. Uh, high glyphs, I think some people in the community uh, call them, and if and I've seen them in my own woods. And once I realized that, I did get scared um, because you know when I over the years when I go camping and shit, you see these tree structures and stuff. You just think, oh, it's just normal woods shit, you know. But, but when I saw them, and then they, they break it down, like how the wind couldn't do this, something this tall had to have done it, a human couldn't have done it because of so-and-so, and, you know, this is very deliberate, and then I look back on the shit that I've seen, and I'm like, holy fuck, you know. <laughs> I hope um, I hope uh, no ch- no children. Are, uh, yeah, this, this whole thing, this whole episode is not for children. Uh, I, I really feel like this is for mature audiences. I know this. Matter. I know this is. I know this is kind of like uh, maybe I should have put late a late in the episode. Before, I, in the description, but, uh, when I upload this in the description, I'll uh, I'll kind of make a little disclaimer for for the people. I just, I'm sorry. It just sort of hit me like. Uh, no, I, I, cause this, this is scary for adults, man. And, you know, language aside, the subject by, by itself, I wouldn't recommend. This is enough to give adults nightmares, let alone kids, man. And I was 18 when I had my encounter, as we call it in the community. And uh, it shook me up pretty good. I was a strapping young man at 18. You know, I've grown to where I was, you know, I've reached my full height, six foot one. I was healthy. I was a lot thinner. Um, You know, I could handle myself. I, you know, I grew up in a rough school, rough public school, and I handled myself throughout all those experiences. But this was on another level. This... Um, like I said, I, I didn't even feel like putting up a fight. 
It's like, if I'm going to die now, I'm, I'm just going to die. And April's going to have a lot of explaining to do as to what she saw happen to me. And I feel bad for her because nobody's going to believe her. They're going to think she's a murderer. And, um... <laughs> Yeah, like I said, when I saw the thing just rise up, it's like you see out of uh, a movie or something, you know. It was like I hit the stick, heard the stick make contact, and then it just stood up. And it, it didn't hurry, it just stood up. It's like, okay, I'm done. And then it saw me, and I saw it. I froze, it panicked jumped over me and ran back into the woods. And uh like I said, the stink oh man, I'm never <laughs> forget that. That's part of you know, you they say your your best memories are that of smell. And I would I would argue some of your worst memories are that of smell too. If, um <laughs> if you've had an unfortunate experience as I've had and uh I don't know, and it's not like like alien abductions there's there's a stereotype of person that falls into that category. you know what I mean mm. there's a type of person that gets abducted by aliens okay let's let's just you know that's fact, like the people that would put bricks around their trailer park their trailer home. <laughs> to make it a permanent structure. That kind of person would get abducted by an alien. A uh, thing that I find fascinating about the Bigfoot community, or as I prefer to call him, Sasquatch, um, all walks of life, professors, hunters, millennial people that just like to eat avocado toast and go hiking on the weekends, um, there's not a particular person associated with Sasquatch encounters, you know, all walks of life. And this is going to to connect to Japan and the bigger picture of all these cultures haven't connected with one another until very recently in history. Here in the United States, there is a phenomenon with our state parks. There is an improportionate amount of people that go absolutely disappear in our state parks. Books have been written about this phenomenon. And the first 411 people, before the pattern was known, 411 people came up missing before somebody recognized it as a pattern. So it's referred to as the missing 411, you know, phenomenon. And these stories line up similarly to those stories of people disappearing in Japan. And according to Kyle, they're still disappearing. He, he had one this year disappear. Um, one person in Tokyo disappeared and God knows how long. And he has documented 30 disappearances in his area in that same year. So, um, 
they line up good with how people disappear over here in our state parks. And uh, if you look on Matt, he, I'm going to do a little bit more research. Um, he, he's kind of curious to see if there's any patterns. Like his pattern, the people that disappear make a circle, and it all points back to Mount Heba. Heba. Like Mount, the summit of Mount Heba is the center of the wheel. And outside of the circle is where people disappear. And he said it's it's a very, you know, he said, um, you know, um, it appears that the Hebagon is following the advice of his father, which is, you know, you don't, you don't defecate where you eat. Eat. And uh, that appears to be what the, the Hebagon is doing. Because it's a very clear pattern of these missing people, and the central location is the summit of Mount Heba, which is very fascinating. Because, like I said, Mount Heba is protected. There's no way. I mean, you're not forbidden from, you know, going and exploring it, but it is to be left untouched and preserved. No, no developments. And you can't, anyway, it's a mountain, so you can't really live on it anyway. They used to, uh, this will fascinate you. Japanese steel industry was founded uh, on the perimeter of Mount Hiba. So your famous samurai sword was first created from steel that was produced from the soil of Mount Heba. And the soil is special there. Um, That's why they're not allowed to mine on it anymore. But the soil... Yeah, I've heard of the name. I've heard of the Mount of Mount Heba through documentaries and stuff that I've seen. But uh, just up until now, you kind of reminded me of that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. Well, the soil... The soil is uh, black with iron. Mm. It's got so much soil in it. It's, and it, it, if anything that lives off of that land, vegetation or any kind of you know animal, will have uh, extremely high, like humans. If humans were to eat food cultivated on Mount Heba. Uh, it would be a toxic level of iron. We we couldn't do it. But the animals and plants that live there have black teeth. Because Japan doesn't allow hunting, they don't. There are no guns allowed in Japan at all. Uh, their wild boar population has exploded. Um, they're very problematic. So this gives a great food source for the Hebagon, other than the occasional human. Um, but also these wild boars have black teeth and black husks, which is indicative of saturated iron. 
Well, you remember me telling you that that the that Mr. Kyle Brink has d- discovered cadaver photos of the Hebagon, you know, that farmers have found in 1970. Well, this cadaver has black teeth. Mm. Mm. It's very interesting because if you were going to hoax something, you wouldn't think to do that because you wouldn't know necessarily that it should have black teeth. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very fascinating. But Mount Heba is a sacred, sacred mountain. And uh, it's, it's left untouched to, to this day. And it's, it's a vast area leading up to the summit. And the missing people... Um, there's some other things that he, that he points to. Kyle Brinks, I suggest people go start from the very beginning and watch every episode or every um, video he does, it, and he does it in in a chronological order to complement the book. And just for the pure fact that he broke down the ancient Chinese calendar, uh, which I thought was very interesting, that you know. A Chinese person in ancient times sat down in one spot for an entire year and observed what he saw. You mean Japanese? Well, it's the Chinese calendar, but the Japanese took it a step further. Okay. But the original calendar was from China, and the Japanese took that calendar and observed even more. Gotcha. Okay. Calendar, calendar. So in in Japan culture, there's like 73 seasons. They're micro-seasons, as they're referred to. So the fact that, you know, a Chinese dude would do that, and then later a Japanese dude would say, okay, I'm going to do better by doing better. He's like going to do that but more. <laughs> uh, just fascinates me that there's, there, you know, Japanese dude did it too to, to improve upon the calendar, but originally it was the Chinese calendar. Mm-hmm. You just sit there in one spot for a whole year and just write down what he sees. One season is ice begins to melt. <laughs> Winter or summer or, you know. Another season is flowers blossom. Spring. Yeah, but spring, our spring is three months. Um, <laughs> he, he, we have 73 seasons in Japan. So, I don't know. This is kind of a crazy little rabbit hole that I went down. I know some people are like, oh, my God, what is he smoking? And yeah, if I was somebody that didn't have the experience, um, it would take a lot to convince me. Like I said, the whole time I was experiencing my encounter, I was blaming it on a friend of mine that was jealous. My mind didn't go to Sasquatch. I mean, I live, I don't live in the Pacific Northwest. I live in the South. I live in the city. Um, and I never, Really, I was just, I never heard of anybody talking about it, but they, but at the same time, I've since learned they they call it something different here. 
In the South, they call them skunk apes. And like I said, I understand why. I get it completely. And Southerners were never known to be, um, you know, delicate with their words sometimes, you know. Um, So skunk ape makes sense to me. I mean, you could very easily confuse this thing with an ape. And if you've ever saw one, I know darn well you smelt it. You smelt it before you seen it. And there's little characteristics, like I said, that if somebody had an encounter and they leave out these details, um, I could tell that they're it's BS. But the, but the encounters that are real, I can tell they're real because I line them up with the little details that I have in my encounter. Like the tree shake. I'll give you one, the tree shake, okay? Uh there, there's sometimes they'll do that, but sometimes they'll throw a rock. Like, if you ever been out in the woods somewhere and a rock just comes out of nowhere, get the hell out of there. That's a warning. The tree shake was a warning for us. He didn't have a rock available, so he was like, I'm just going to shake the hell out of this tree. And uh, we didn't get the memo. <laughs> I think he was trying to get of our attention. Like I said, I think he was just curious. I think he was a teenager, a young male. He didn't know. He was probably just as surprised to see us as we were him. You know, his family may not have told him about humans. You know, and he just lived his whole life back in those woods and snuck out of the cave one day. And like I said, there were caves all over back there, you know. Snuck out of the cave one day, you know, mom and dad are asleep, and he's like, damn, what's this, you know? And uh, like I said, I don't think the one I encountered meant any harm, but I, I do think they're all different, just like we are. And just, you know, the best left alone. Once we establish that they exist and that they're on this planet, and Deal with them as we need to, sure. Like I don't, I don't think it's cool that they're stealing people. Um, but at the same time, you know, just leave them alone. They have their space. They're highly territorial. Um, and I think they're just trying. You want you posed a question about their their call their societal makeup and everything you know what what kind of culture they have and everything i believe at this point um they're just trying to survive as a species i think they know time's running out for them each year there's you know less and less of them i think it's getting harder for them to breed because it's harder for them to, to stay alive because they have to, because of encroachment, uh, I think they have to get deeper and deeper into woods and in their hiding spots. And um, I think at this point, they know their their days. Um, they may not be around much longer. Like I said, I think in the United States, there's twenty thousand of them. 15, fourteen to twenty thousand. Just based on, you know, what we know about ancient people and territory, you know. Uh, 350 million Americans, 
Okay, 350 million Americans. And there's only 20,000 of them tops. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're highly, highly in danger. And, and if they're smart as we are, they know they're in danger. And um, maybe their idea of stealing a human every now and then, uh, like I said, is their desperate attempts to try to reproduce because... You know, I don't think it's cool. I mean, you know, it's like, no, quit taking our damn women. Shit. Um, <laughs> but um, Native Americans have stories of being being abducted and, and returned. Like this one, this one, uh, oh, this uh, First Nations woman up in Canada, she told this story. Kyle is the one that actually tells it on his channel. Uh, she was actually, she herself was taken by a Sasquatch, a young one, and brought back to the cave with his parents. And he had tried to reproduce with her, basically, you know, forced himself on her. And um, she had a stillborn, a hybrid stillborn, twice and uh he was going to kill her because she couldn't produce a child and she had she had escaped and um got back to her village but uh, can you imagine and then this one dude um i forget where he was at he was hunting and one of them, a young one, had grabbed him, and uh, he'd got he got he was there for a week. They they weren't they didn't hurt him or anything. They just kind of watched him, you know, wouldn't let him out of his sight. And he got the dad high on chewing tobacco, and made the dad he because because. The the father Sasquatch was looking at him and he was, you know, chewing tobacco and everything. And he was very fascinated. And this guy would share a little bit with him. And he was like, you know, he just got he got a kick out of that and he liked it. So um he had an idea to get away and he said he got all the chewing tobacco that he had and put it in the in the dude's food. And he got real sick, started throwing up and just like, just like, just like getting real sick. And he thinks he may have killed him, but he doesn't know because he took off running. And this guy got snatched up in his sleeping bag in the middle of the night while he was camping. And he had his backpack in the sleeping bag with him. So fortunately, he had his stuff with him when he got carried off. But he, when he got carried off, he said, this dude was running up mountains like it was a staircase. I mean, it was just like moving through the woods, like like with ease, like no no trouble at all. And he doesn't know where he was, where, you know. And he, he like I said, he finally got the idea to make, the, make the, the father sick with the chewing tobacco. And when he started getting sick and everything, the mother and the juvenile, the one that kidnapped him, 
And he said that the father, when he first showed up with him, the father was like really upset. Like they they like they had an argument in a language he didn't understand. And uh and he kept they, you know, it's like, well, you know, what are we gonna do with him, you know? And they just were arguing about it. It's like, why in the hell did you steal this human? <laughs> you know. And um so finally, uh, like I said, he got the, he noticed that the that the dad got the hanker for this chewing tobacco. He was really fascinated with it, so he'd give him a little bit, and he liked it, you know. So he gained his trust, and then he put his whole the whole rest of it. He had, had like a week's worth. He put all the rest of it in the dude's food when he was eating, and um, he ate it. Got real sick. And they started tending to him, and, uh, you know, he bolted. He grabbed his shit and left. Um, so that's kind of interesting. <laughs> and these people tell these stories just like it's just nonchalant, you know. It's like they have nothing to gain. They have nothing to lose. They just, you know, you bring it up. Oh, yeah, let me tell you what happened to me. You know, it's like they're not writing books and not out there on Oprah getting famous. They're just hunters and campers that just have these experiences, and you know, it's just part of their life. The Native Americans had it real, real bad with the Sasquatch. Um, it uh, a lot of sad stories between the interactions with Sasquatch and Native Americans. So, yeah, I mean, I could I could go on for hours about it, but I encourage all the people um, to go research themselves because um, not only did I go down the, the Hebagon rabbit hole with Sasquatch, but... In the process, I'm learning about Japanese history that's just not told in books, man. This is just not because Japanese are very, uh, very interesting people. You know, like I was telling you the other day, they're not outdoorsy people. They're not camper. In fact, this guy can't get a trail cam locally in Japan. He has to order them off of uh, Amazon. You know. You can't. They don't have like an academy, or a wharf, or you know, Japanese people stay in the cities, and that's it. They don't. They don't go out of the cities at all. And uh, Kyle Brink Brink seems to believe that this is ingrained in them because most of Japan is inhabitable, and even if it weren't uninhabitable, uh, they have the Hibigon to deal with and it's just ingrained in them to stay in the cities and not go into the woods mm-hmm. and they take it very seriously they they don't look at you know they they this is part of their origin story you know uh, this is part of Japanese beginning you know how how Japan was created you know Well, um, that was uh, 
this 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 we could we could we could do several shows about this but um <laughs> um just based on you know cuz i'm fascinated by japanese history um like i said there's several you know um several things that i'm interested in um but i mean i, I hope people have gotten something out of this cuz i certainly was like we, you know, you shared this rabbit hole with me. First, I thought it was about this truck that you had sent me a picture of, but no, it was it was more than just this truck. It was, <laughs> you know, um, uh, and uh, yeah, we could we could do this for hours, and I would just I would just sit and listen. Is all I would do. So, <laughs> um, well, I'm. Um... As we wrap this up, I've got one more interesting little thing to leave the people with that actually just blew my mind. And it's not related to Sasquatch or aliens or anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the Chinese written language is the oldest written language known to man. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's based based on uh, um, ideograms, okay, mm-hmm. as we know it, calligraphy, okay? Mm-hmm. They don't have letters. They, they have ideograms. And idio coming from the word idea. So how a Chinese word is made is an idea is drawn as an ideogram, Okay. It's one of the things that make Chinese language and Japanese so very difficult to learn. Um, but the word for creation, okay, in in the Chinese language, is two thousand five hundred years older than the birth of Jesus. Okay, two thousand five hundred years before Jesus. And the character, the ideograph, ideograph rather, that makes up the 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 word for creation in the Chinese language, and similarly the Japanese language, has six things in common with the Christian creation story of Adam and Eve. Kyle breaks that down with his etymology series, um, which I thought was just blew my mind. Again, two cultures, 2,500 years apart, never interacted with each other, didn't know the other existed, came to the same conclusion for creation. Mm Mm-hmm. Just something to think about, man. Yeah, um, th- that's wow. <laughs> um, In fact, the next time I debate an atheist, I'm going to that. That's going to be my secret weapon. I'd love to know how an atheist can explain that. Well, if anyone listens to this. <laughs> you might you might get some attention there. 
Um, I don't think it can be argued. I mean, how coincidence? Okay. What are the odds? Right. I mean, you know. Yeah, that's, that definitely blew my mind. I'm like, you know, and, you know, the Bible and Chinese language have a lot in common, really. You know, uh, the Chinese written language is is symbolism. It's the very definition of symbolism through the idea, ideographs or ideograms, rather, um, just like hieroglyphs in ancient Egypt, you know. But uh, the Bible itself is symbolism, you know, because of the ancient language it was written in originally um, was a lot like Shakespeare, you know. Shakespeare speaks everything in poetry, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of way the ancient Arabic language, and I forget what it, what it's called now. I could find out because I know where the guy is that taught me this. Um, but it was a language of symbolism. It's more. It was a very poetic language, and when the, it was translated to English, um, it was translated directly. The the symbolism wasn't interpreted. It wasn't known to be interpreted. It was just it was it was literally translated. Um, so I think that's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like I said, two cultures, 2,500 years apart, didn't know each other existed, had no way of knowing through time and space, um, but came to the same conclusion. Very weird. Very, I don't know. Like I said, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Yeah, this is a, this is a very, uh, very deep, uh, Deep well, and um, well, I told you when I when I I warned you I said, about this rabbit hole. I said, man, I went down a rabbit hole so deep I don't know how to get out of it. <laughs> I, I warned well, you. Man. Well, we do current. I mean, and it's. I mean, this, I th- I'm hoping that this gets you know gets a little more conversation going, and because we do shows like this, and I'm hoping it gets people talking. And stuff, and uh, and we can have a, a good back and forth and, and things. Which who knows? Um, we do have a Facebook page where we post all this stuff. Um, besides the podcast, um, so who knows? But uh, you know, yeah, um, it's definitely it's definitely not the news. <laughs> Yeah, and like we said in the beginning, um, the news is just, I don't know, it's, they're not, it's just like they're trying like hell to go to war for no reason and scare everybody. COVID's not scaring anybody anymore, so they gotta come up with something new. Yep. And it's not going to end well, and I don't like thinking about it. And I'll try to stay on a more positive path. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all that is. It's just like you and I both just, when we talked about this episode, you know, you're like, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you talk about your rabbit hole, man? It's not, it's like you said, it's not the news. I was like, yeah, you know, I wasn't really feeling the news anyway, so... 
And I wasn't sure that the people would be interested in what I had to say about this rabbit hole either. But thanks to your encouragement, I kind of feel a little better about it, you know. Because, because I can back it up. I can point you to facts and stuff that are irrefutable. And, you know, it's not just me talking out of my behind, you know, what I think. You know, everything I told you can be verified, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the way I operate because, like I said, had I not seen it with my own two eyes, I would still lump them into, like, alien abductions and, you know, people who reinforce their trailer home with brick. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, you sent me a picture of the one of those earlier today, and I'm still – can't wrap my head around. Well, my buddy Chris wants to do a flyby with his drone just to get better imagery. <laughs> I mean, I, I so what we're it's just I want to see the inside of said I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to <laughs> know what dwells in that contraption. Uh, I was playing in my uh, bike routes, man, and I came across that. I was like, what the? I thought it was an old building at first. I'm like, wow, what's this neat old building doing in the middle of a hole? I said, like, wait a minute. That looks like a trailer on the end. And I was like, and then I saw the bricks laying everywhere. I'm like, oh, no. The thing about it is if you're going to work that hard to build a brick house, why use your trailer home as a model? Why not just build a nice house I mean, out of basically, brick? Yeah, basically the, the, the trailer is a skeletal structure by which the frame by which you – you okay. I mean, you have no more room than you did before, so – I'm assuming it's a single wide trailer. Um, yeah, it appears to be a just, very old – the root trailer – Appears to be very, very old. Like it was there from the beginning. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, there there was this, this photo that was posted on Facebook, and I'm sitting here. I don't know what this is. Is this is this a you know a uh, a, a school? Is it a, is it some other sort? And then you're like, dude, it's a trail. I'm like, okay, let me. Put my, you know, put my jaw, you know, back where it. <laughs> I made sure you you were sitting down and stable before I, I because I, I realized I, you didn't know what it was. I was like, oh shit, this going because at you. this at this point, my brain my brain is going. Why? Again, it's one of those things that leaves more questions than answers, man. You know. I mean, now that thing exists. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that thing is real. If it can exist, Sasquatch can exist because compared to that, Sasquatch makes more sense than that does. Yeah. I mean, you you asked me when I told you about it, you were like, "Why did he do, why did they do I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. I have any clue other than when I was making my bicycle routes. Uh, I came around the corner on Street View. It was greeted with that architectural masterpiece, man. <laughs> it's something. I don't know if you would call it a masterpiece, but, uh, you know, 
but uh, I hope everybody has enjoyed this um, this this conversation. I mean, I, I like I said, I have not. It's not something I normally would 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 you know sit and dis. I've never really thought about it, as I said, until we had this conversation a while back, and I was like, you know, this is. You know, other people might get something out of our, out of this discussion. So that's one of the reasons why I encouraged you to to go down the rabbit hole and and, and tell us about the rabbit hole, because um, yeah, I think the more the the more information we gather, the more understanding we have, and. You know, if it's legitimate information, it's very helpful. And like I said before, I can I can root out the the BS from the actual people who take it seriously. There, there's people out there that just make it up for attention or whatever, and then there's people who are generally um, who have genuinely had an experience. And one of the main reasons is fear. You can't fake fear. And when somebody tells me their story and they show the fear that they had when it happened, you can't fake that. Well, that's one of the reasons why you get, well, I want to shoot it. The reason you want to shoot it is because you don't know anything about it and you're scared of it. Yeah, but... That's part of the reason. Everybody that had the urge to shoot one couldn't bring themselves to do it. You know, that's the funny thing about it. And the other part of it is, I just want to mount something on my wall. Okay. Man, can you imagine? <laughs> I do believe they would come looking for you if you did kill one. <laughs> I mean. I mean, they. I do believe they travel in family groups, you, you know. Well, that's that's kind of, you know, well, you know. I think this is one of those things you could sit here and talk about it for days and days and days and, and not come any closer to knowing, you know, uh, our generation is going to add to it. And then the next generation will, you know, well, up until fair, up until modern times, it was forgotten about, you know, I think uh, the Patterson film brought it, brought it to the modern psyche, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, go down to Patterson. Yeah, Robert Gimlin is still alive. I listen to interviews with him. And there's people, that location was lost for 30, 40 years. And it was rediscovered. And, um, you know, um, that's a... That's that's a rabbit hole that uh, it 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 coincides with this. I'm I'm on this to the end. You know this Japanese rabbit hole. He's about to come to a conclusion because um, he, he. Yeah, this this must be a more more recent thing that he's put up because I noticed a lot of videos are not very old. So. Oh yeah, it's fairly recent. Yeah. Yeah, it's really. Um, but he um, he's got a few goals in mind. He wants to find out where they buried the cadaver, and he wants to find it. And he's alluding in some of his videos that he has already done or knows where it is. 
And um, he's doing these in chronological order so they coincide with the book, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is smart to do that. That's what a teacher would do. And I think if you want to share information, that's the best way to do it because it's not all jumbled up. It's an order to it, you know. Well, um, yeah. Um, Well, I think we'll call this one done for the evening. We Alrighty. will yeah, next. I mean, like I said, next, I could go on, but I think I think I covered most of what we wanted to share. Um, yeah, um, you know, so is there anything? Uh, is there anything else you want to share before we? No, uh, I will say that I will dig up some links and resources and put them on our Facebook page. Make it easier mm-hmm. for some folks if they're interested. And that is the that is the place if you want to get a, get um, in contact with us. Currently, um, just search for Geek versus Geek on Facebook. You'll find us, um, and uh, eventually we will have you know some other place other than Facebook. <laughs> um, I hope. Um, but uh, until then, just keep on you know. Stay with us, and hopefully you enjoy it, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Gio. And I'm Bob. Later. Later.